This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast, that uh, conversation where we get to meet people who are of devout Christian faith and who have been able to explore the heights of academic and professional excellence. I say it is, it is a personal um, personal honour and privilege today to be speaking to Dr. Vishal Mangalwadi. Dr. Mangalwadi uh, was born in 1949 in one of the provinces of India. He graduated from University of Allahabad in 1969. He obtained a Master's of Philosophy at the University of Indore in 1973. And in 1974, was the co-founder of the Theological Research and Communication Institute. After an extensive career involved in uh, charities and in political science and in further academic studies, he was awarded a doctorate in 2003 by William Carey International University. In 2009, he became um, the, the started to develop his thesis on the truth and transformation, encouraging local churches around the world to become centers of learning and service. He's most well known in terms of the global community for two very significant um, treaties that he has prepared. In 2011, the publication of the book that changed or the book that made your world how the Bible created the soul of Western civilization. And much more recently, this book changed everything. The Bible's amazing impact on our world. Dr. Mangalwadi, it's an absolute pleasure to have some time to talk with you. Thank you for uh, the generosity of being available. Well, thank you for honoring me. Uh, It is wonderful. I'm looking forward to being in Australia next month. Yes, we'll have a chance to talk a little bit about some of those two events that uh, you'll be speaking at, or at least a part of, uh, when you're out here in Australia in in a couple of months. That suggests that you're clearly not in Australia right now. Where is home for you, Dr. Mangalwadi? Well, our home in India was burned down by a mob of Hindus. So we've been homeless for a long time. We have two daughters in California, and uh, that's where we are camping right now. Um, but just for a few more weeks, then we leave for Fiji and Australia and Chile. So we, uh, the Lord has uh, not given us a home, but we travel around the world. But uh, our legal base is in California uh, with our daughters. It's interesting that you you still uh, hold to the view that your your home was burned down. It's a it's a rather sobering um, account that you write about in uh, in the, the the preface to the book that formed the world of of what yeah. actually happened to your wife and yourself and your community. Well, they were actually trying to kill us. The government was trying to kill us. The uh, chief of the police he personally told me that. He will kill me if I did not stop my service to the poor. Uh, But thankfully, the local press at that time was supporting me. 
so they did not actually kill me, but just threw me in prison, which gave the opportunity to start writing the book, uh, which became Truth and Transformation. Uh, it has been published in many parts of the world, uh, not in Australia as yet, but um, uh, how do you transform oppressive societies? So that book actually concluded with an appendix uh, proposing how America can be reformed again through Christian education, church-based education. So that project has grown into the, uh, it's a, become a global movement of called the Third Education Revolution, um, which is a big book now, um, a 751-page book and a global movement. Uh, but uh, it did begin with uh, when I was thrown in prison. Uh, the um, community was burned down later. Uh, and so we've been homeless, wandering around the world. Uh, but the Lord has kept it that way so that I'm, in fact, available to uh, many, many nations. It's uh, not unlike the Apostle Paul, who was willing to forsake the security of, of uh, an established base for the opportunity to be mobile and to be available. Um, that's honourable for you. The, the, there must be something very, very deep and very, very passionately held that drives you or, or that motivates you to to uh, accept some of those challenges and to to live in the face of of such direct conflict as you describe just recently and in in, in your book, what is it that well, is that, 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 that the what's the 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 central thing that you are that you are passionate about that that is giving you this courage? Well, the um, things are much worse in India right now than they were uh, thirty years ago. Um, because a militant Hindu party has been uh, ruling and has um, and so it, its roots are very explicitly in the Italian and German fascist movement. Um, so that idea of fascism and Aryans as the most evolved people and they must govern and the so the, so that that is explicitly the, the political belief of the central government and in many states so one of the states for example Manipur northeast uh, hundreds of churches have been burned down almost 30 40000 40000 or so christians are in uh, living in camps because their houses have been burned down. They can't go back to their houses. So, uh, but uh, leaving what's happening to, in India to one side, uh, when the uh, specific trigger, this was not full story, but the uh, trigger which uh, creates, began this conflict um, was a hailstorm had destroyed crops in about 100 villages. And I was organizing relief for them. The government banned that relief. So I said, okay, we will not give any relief. We will pray 
uh, for the victims, with the victims, in a public prayer meeting in a Gandhi ashram, not in a church, not a Christian prayer meeting, but we will invite all religions to come and seek God. Perhaps uh, if we're not allowed to do any relief, maybe as an answer to our prayer, the government itself will offer relief to the victims of this hailstorm. So the specific order was to cancel that prayer meeting. Uh, and the superintendent, the police told me that if you don't cancel it, I will personally kill you. I won't arrest you. I won't um, produce you before a magistrate. I'll just take you from your home to the jungle, shoot you, throw your body. Hyenas will eat it. Uh, you cancel it. In the end, they didn't kill me, but they just threw me in jail. That raised the question, how do you build a society where uh, human rights are respected, where my freedom to pray, my freedom to serve uh, the victims of a natural calamity is there where I have the, uh, where the, the state exists to defend my rights, including my right to life, not to take it away. So that journey of uh, how do you uh, create a just and a free and a progressive uh, society uh, resulted behind some of the study, I wrote four books on the history of modern India, that it was in fact uh, biblical Christianity that created modern India. And then I went on to see what else has this book, the Bible, done to the world. And that led to the two books that you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, the book that made your world, and this book changed everything. So that's sort of the passion. But now that the Bible is not the soul, no longer the soul uh, of uh, India or Australia or the or Europe. And as the uh, European society is disintegrating once again, and uh, people are lo losing their freedom in countries such as us, uh, Canada and America, the question, how do we uh, rebuild the foundations of freedom and justice. Uh, that's been part of the passion that how was the modern world created? Uh, and if the Bible created it, can that world be sustained? Can those freedoms be sustained? Uh, mm. Is part of the question behind these books. Yeah, Dr. Mangawari, there's so much that I would like to explore with you. Your, your initial training was in philosophy. You did your initial Correct. training in, in yes. philosophy, and so what I what I can perceive is that you you have found that philosophy is not as it is sometimes thought of by novices as something that is otherworldly, completely theoretical, of not much use. You're a philosopher that has found that ideas actually matter in the way people live, in the way cultures develop, and in, in the way that governments govern. Is are you the advocacy for the Western civilization and the the ideas that are encapsulated in that? Is it the is it the Bible itself that is that is under threat, or or, or is it the notions, the philosophical propositions that the Bible holds that are at, are at uh, core value? Well, I would say both. Uh, because the question 
do I have the freedom to serve the poor? Uh, do I have the freedom to organize a public prayer meeting and a neutral ground where Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, Christians are all invited to come and seek God for the victims? Because in 100 villages, there are people of all religions who have been uh, devastated by this hailstorm. Uh, does the state exist to uh, promote, preserve, protect my freedom? Or is my freedom a gift from the government which it can take away? Uh, is Do I have an inalienable or fundamental right to life? Mm. Where does it come from? Does it come from the U uh, United Nations Charter of Human Rights? Or is it a fundamental right because it is given to me by God himself when God, <laughs> if God says you shall not kill? Is that a command binding on the government? That the government cannot kill me. So uh, Ahab and Jezebel may be king and queen of Israel, uh, but they cannot kill uh, a farmer, Neboth, because the king wants his vineyard. So, so the queen organizes his murder uh, through false witnesses, takes his property, gives it to her husband, because he wants it uh, badly. Uh, and Elijah has to face this, that is my right to life comes to me from the state or is it comes from God and uh, the state is bound to exist to protect my life so and my property and my family, etc. So th these are philosophical issues. Um, but the, the freedoms that we have, the world has enjoyed, uh, much of the world, including Australia, they have actually come from the Bible, but the mm. universities have been deceiving. Uh, the university has been deceiving that these freedoms and rights come from Greece or the Enlightenment, um, not from the Bible. Therefore, the source of justice and freedom and prosperity has been undermined uh, by the universities. Uh, it's not yet, uh, the, the West, including Australia, is not yet uh, experiencing the damage that the universities and the intellectual deception, the deception of the ideas, uh, ha has it does not yet have practical uh, implications in many societies, but it did have in Germany. So as the German, the birthplace of Protestant Christianity, uh, rejected the Bible, accepted the uh, human mind uh, as the ultimate authority, rationalism, uh, it led to totalitarianism, and the two world wars, and of course, after the world wars, communism continued, um, which uh, the communist ideas that man can be the messiah, should be the messiah, the party. Uh, so in this, yes, it is certain uh, um, doctrines, teachings of the Bible, certain ideas, and it may be different ideas at different times. 
Um, so it could be as simple a question as, uh, is it really God's word that you shall not kill? Mm. Is my fundamental right to life, uh, is practical application of that command, you shall not steal, is my right to property, my responsibility to work and freedom to create wealth, does it come from God's word? Or is it the state's gift to me? Mm. Who gives the state the authority? So these are issues on which um, uh, uh, the modern world was built. Now, in India, we are still struggling with more basic issues, such as can, um, in most Hindu temples, an untouchable is not allowed to enter the temple. Even the president of India right now is a tribal woman. She is not high caste. Therefore, she can enter a temple, but she cannot go into the holiest of holy. Uh, and uh, the, this was true of our previous prime uh, president of India. Uh, they, they have to be kept out. Uh, they cannot do this. Uh, but for most uh, low caste Hindus, right now in my home district, a, a Dalit, a untouchable uh, scheduled caste man was beaten up because he dared to drive in front of the palace. Uh, the palace is a little thing of a little, little uh, former ruling family. He was beaten up. His wife was beaten up. His That one-year-old baby was thrown on the street. Uh, the, the whole nation right now, the social media, is seized with an incident that a high-caste uh, political activist urinated in public on the face of a low-caste you know, tribal uh, young man. He was The young man was sitting on the roadside. This man is urinating on him. Video is made. The video is viral. M much of the social media is discussing it, the issue, that th this is showing... And the Brahman community, the president of the Brahman society, is actually defending uh, this uh, humiliation, beastliness, by saying that there is no law that one cannot urinate on another person. So he, this man has not broken any law. Though he is publicly humiliated that you are dirt, you are filth. That's the message he has sent. So uh, in, in India... Can this man, upon whom a high caste Brahmin is urinating in public, making a video, sending it to the people so that the whole people groups are humiliated, can this man actually become a priest? Can he, the, the, the victim, can he become the priest? Can he become the ruler? Now, this is the gospel yes. where in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, the Lamb of God is worshipped in heaven because with his blood, he purchases slaves of Satan to make them sons of God. And they will serve God as his priests and king. So this is a social revolution, intellectual revolution, that a person who was not allowed to enter the temple, in fact, his body becomes the temple of the living God. Mm. And he becomes a child of God, serving his father, managing his father's kingdom. So you're priest and king. 
So in India right now, uh, this uh, these aspects of Christian doctrine, uh, whether the lower caste can in fact be exalted to the highest position of being priests and kings. Now, th this is not important in the West at this moment, these ideas. But in fact, <clears throat> Martin Luther's concept that every child should be edu educated was exactly built on the concept of priesthood and kingship of all believers. Ye school system did not exist in Europe 500 years ago. No country had a school system. But universities had been created by the Roman Catholic Church. Universities existed. But universities were institutions of the church, for the church, by the church. They were training the ministers of the church. Very few secular students will be there. They would be sons and daughters of the kings, royalty, and high um, bureaucrats, uh, um, <coughs> noble families. If their children are going on to be on diplomatic uh, uh, posts, they would be ed admitted in uh, church uh, institutions because state had no universities of its own. All the universities were uh, grew out of the uh, monasteries and mm. uh, um, uh, uh, cathedral schools. So, but when Luther understands that no, every believer is a priest and king, he says that every child must be educated because you cannot serve God if you don't know God. You cannot do God's will on earth if you don't know what his will is. And therefore, you have to be taught to read and write. And that's why Bible should be available in German and in English and in Finnish and Spanish, etc. So the linguistic revolution uh, of translating the Bible into vernacular dialects and transforming dialects into literary languages was the foundation of intellectual revolution, which was found a, 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 a social revolution of bringing equality that mm. every child of God is priest and king. This is the mm. revolution which the gospel is now bringing into India and mm. which is the fundamental challenge to what Hinduism had done in, to India of mm. making vast majority of Indians as second class, third class, fourth class, uh, outcast people who are not allowed to uh, enter into the holiest place in the temple or to become ministers, priests. So, so, so the, uh, uh, yes, these are ideas, but yeah. they are ideas rooted in the Bible. Therefore, yeah. the Bible itself has to be undermined. Yes, I, I understand. There's, there has been a resurgence, or at least a a, uh, a rallying of uh, defense of Western civilization, as the erosion has become more obvious, as the the uh, the challenge, the cancel culture applied to the whole of the culture of uh, Western civilization. Tom Holland, Douglas Murray, others who have not necessarily held the same convictions of, of uh, spiritual truth have recognized the inherent value of 
Christian thinking, Christian civilization. Your position, which is similar to that, is is stark in that it is, at least in from from um, my arm's length, seems very controversial for you to hold that it was the arrival of Christianity that made modern India, in the face of thousands of years of Hindu tradition. Uh, how has that been received by your countrymen? Well, uh, I'm now. Uh, starting from next week, a publication of a series of books. Uh, all of them have, uh, exist, uh, have been written. Uh, they are now being uh, prepared for the press. The first of these is called The Father of Modern India, William Carey. Hmm. Uh, you have Carey Grammar School in uh, Sydney where, uh, where our daughter when she was in 10th grade, she came for six months as an exchange student. Um, and that's honoring William Carey. He was the first Baptist missionary to India who also initiated the modern uh, Protestant missions from uh, English-speaking countries to the rest of the world. And the modern missionary movement as an organized force begins with him. Uh, he is the father of modern India. So this is our first book. Uh, which had, different versions had been published of it earlier, but now it's called The Father of Modern India. So this should go to press next week. The second one is called Missionary Conspiracy. This goes beyond William Carey to study 150 years of what exactly did the missionary movement do, what did it achieve in India. Third book is called India the Grand Experiment, which is a saying that Modern, free, democratic India, educated India, is a product of, uh, was a vision of Victorian evangelicals, people like Wilberforce uh, and uh, his team, um, Charles Grant and many others, who uh, dreamt of India as a no nation and exerted tremendous uh, self-sacrificing labor uh, to create modern India. Then we have a whole series of books, perhaps three volumes. Uh, the, the content of two volumes is ready. This, this is called How the Bible Created Modern India. Mm. So we are looking at everything of uh, how modern agriculture came to India, uh, rule of law came to India. Uh, the ideas of human equality came, emancipation of women, uh, health, nursing, but, but also constitutionalism, um, etc. So we, about 30 of us have been working on it for something like 110 weeks mm. to uh, produce these uh, chapters, which we start, we will start publishing now. So, so there will be, um, in the next six months, perhaps six volumes uh, revisiting the history of how the Bible created India. Uh, and uh, this actually uh, begins, the, um, uh, the first book goes to press next week. Mm. So uh, the, many of these books had already been, some of these books had already been published, and there has been no serious uh, disagreement. It is mm. shocking, but since no one else has been saying it, and 25 years ago, 
Uh, I was alone in arguing this, but now there are at least 50 scholars Mm. who have researched different facets of the creation of modern India and who have whose research we would be publishing. Because that that thesis, Dr. Mengelwadi, that there there is inherent value in what the Western civilization brought to India is in direct contrast to what is popular opinion or what appears to be the loudest voice in popular opinion at the moment is that Western civilization should be demolished, deconstructed. It was colonialism at its worst. It it is repugnant. And the ancient traditions, the ancient cultures need to be reestablished and have have equal value, if not greater value. What's your response yes. to those, those Well, uh, unfortunately, you are absolutely right. Right now, Sweden is allowing uh, the Swedes to burn Bibles in public. Um, and uh, the, uh, in fact, th- this book I mentioned, The Father of Modern India, William Carey, uh, it was published, uh, my wife and I self-published it in 1992 as a much smaller book, William Carey, a tribute by an Indian woman. Uh, then there was a second edition, William Carey and the Regeneration of India. There was a third British edition called Carey, Christ and Cultural Transformation. In 1999, there was a US edition called The Legacy of William Carey, A Model for Transforming Culture. That book has also been translated into Korean and German uh, and uh, Chinese. Uh, but leaving all of that behind, once the U.S. edition, The Legacy of William Carey was published, there there is a lady uh, uh, who helped establish with her husband the Labrie in the USA. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, She was speaking in Harvard University. She lives within an hour or so of Harvard University. She was speaking, and during her speech, she held up our book, uh, saying that what uh, the gospel and particularly Gary had done in abolishing sati, widow burning in India. The widows used to be burned mm-hmm. and uh, the tradition was banned in 1829. Mm-hmm. And William Carey was a pivotal figure in uh, arguing that women should not, widows should not be burned, they should be educated, they should remarry and begin a new life. Uh, but a white woman who was doing PhD in Harvard, uh, she stood up and shouted at the speaker that who authorized this white colonial <laughs> Englishman to say uh, that the tradition of widow burning is wrong. Yeah. Uh, he should be respecting local tradition. Yeah. These are auspicious, uh, sacred traditions, and we should be respecting their culture. So this is how stupid Harvard University has become, uh, that a white woman doing PhD, her mind has been so twisted and corrupted that she's saying she has no basis for critiquing uh, the evil of widow burning. All that she can do is critique a missionary 
who says that uh, vid young widows should not be burnt, but they should be educated and remarried uh, because a woman's uh, a woman does not live for her husband. Uh, ultimately, each of us lives for God. Our lives, the meaning of our lives, yeah. uh, comes from our relationship to God, not from our culture. So the blindness of Western universities has, in fact, created the problem uh, that you are uh, expressing. Now, you are absolutely right that there are public intellectuals, including Jordan Peterson, um, Tom Holland in England, who are saying that, no, the best of the Western civilization came from the Bible. The Bible is the soul of the West. And neither of them are Christians uh, who are saying this. That, uh, But I have a debate. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to watch it with uh, Tom Holland. Uh, uh, so Tom Holland, in one of his yeah. discussions, he said that modern freedoms came from Greece. Mm. And I, I debated that point with him that uh, modern freedoms came from the Bible, not from Greece. Mm. And during the course of our discussion, he admitted three times that he had not actually studied the three, the history of freedom. He is a professional historian and I'm not. So he's a much better historian than me. Uh, I'm not a historian, but he admitted that he had not studied. I pointed out to him that the only political philosophy that Greece ever exported was imperialism. <laughs> All of European imperialism came from Alexander the Great. Before that, there was imperialism in the Middle East. The Persian Empire was invading a democratic, a free uh, Athens and uh, Greek city-states. But uh, the Greek city-states had become evil, as Plato says that Greek democracy was the worst of all political system. So Plato proposed the concept of philosopher king, which his disciple Aristotle tried to implement. Aristotle was the mentor to Alexander the Great and before he became great, and he was uh, in Macedonia as a young prince. Alexander was his tutor. Alexander imbibed the concept of philosopher king and began conquering the world, starting with Persia, going all the way to India. And he, when, when he was returning from India, he died in Babylon. Uh, so Greek, Greece exported imperialism, which Rome then, after the Greek empire fell apart, Rome then started uh, Roman Empire, which inspired the Spanish, the Portuguese, the French, the uh, Swedish, the Russian, the Austro-Hungarian, British. Uh, so British Empire finally became the biggest. But this imperialism uh, came from Greece. This is the only political philosophy uh, Greece ever exported. But it was in 1910 that the Columbia University uh, in New York uh, began to, uh, there were two professors who began to uh, 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 propose the myth, they constructed the myth uh, that modern freedoms came from Greece uh, because Athens at one point had uh, democracy. 
And some of those people praised democracy. Um, it was um, Will Durant, a lapsed Roman Catholic who used to lecture on Monday nights in a Presbyterian church across the street from the gate entrance to, to New York University. Will Durant popularized the myth uh, that modern democracy came from Greece. And that is what the universities have been teaching. And it was amazing that um, a, a, a historian of the statue of Tom Holland accepted that myth mm. uncritically mm. because there was no one in England who had been saying that no, British democracy, British freedom did not come from Greece. It came from the Bible from Scotland and it came into Scotland from Huguenots and from Geneva. Mm. Um, uh, Geneva was the source of uh, republicanism mm, and uh, freedom. Uh, so, uh, so yes, there is a lot of myth that Western universities have been promoting, and as a result, the West is lo losing freedom. Yes. Um, I, I was in um, Canada two months ago, and Canada is, Canada is becoming a nation of slaves, where university professors are not free uh, to publicly present a thesis which they have carefully studied and they actually believe in. So uh, professors have no, they may have ten, they may be tenured professors, but they don't have intellectual liberty mm. to stand for truth, communicate mm. truth. Which which is a nice segue, uh, Dr. Mangawadi, to the, the importance of education. You know, society, culture, the success of governments, the everyday lives of the citizens are affected by the ideas that have have power and influence, and that comes from a system of education. There's a there's a lot that I'd like to unpack with you. You talk about um, a, a great books version of education, and and the, recognizing the Bible as one of the great books. And I'd love to know at some stage from you what how you define what is a great book. But let's put that on hold because I know that you're yes. involved in, in a thing called the Third Education Revolution. And uh, I'd love you mm -hmm. to explain what that means for you, what the movement is, how you're involved. Uh, the, the, the movement is intended to equip every local church around the world to take education back from the the university has become the source of darkness because the church abandoned. Church invented the university. All of the early uh, in America, USA, where I'm sitting right now, 116 of the first 118 colleges and universities were established by the church. In in India, uh, the concept of university, college education, and universal education came with the church, with the missionary movement. So, uh, because it was hard of the Protestant Reformation that if uh, if we are royal priesthood, if every child is a priest and a king, uh, then every child has to be educated because God's will cannot be done on earth unless people know what God's will is. That was the driving force. But after Napoleon, uh, because after the French Revolution, uh, Revolution and Enlightenment, um, it, beginning with 1832, 
Europe, European church, including the Protestant church, began to surrender education to the state. No state in history had ever uh, run the educational program. Education was a ministry of the church. So Oxford, Cambridge was began as Augustinian monasteries. Harvard, uh, Yale, these were Puritan institutions uh, either established by Congregationalists or Presbyterians or uh, even Anglicans and Methodists and others later. So uh, education was a ministry of the church, but let's just focus on the USA. It was after 1848 that Horace Mann, M-A-N-N, he was the first person who began to argue that church should not educate, state should. Why? Because if the church educates, church will teach divisive doctrines such as Trinity. A child doesn't need to learn about Trinity. A child needs to learn that he should honor his father and his mother, and he should not covet his friend's pencil or paper or book or food. Um, so the Bible should be taught uh, for ethics and morality, not for doctrine and truth. Uh, Horace Mann then went on to win a seat in the House of Representatives. He became a congressman, and that gave him a national platform. He was a good writer, good speaker, to argue that the church should not educate, state should educate. And his core argument was that, no, that core argument that teaching truths such as doc, uh, Trinity are div is divisive because he was a Unitarian. So as a Unitarian, he does not want the churches that believe in Trinity to teach Trinity. Now, there is a long story which on which I can't go. John Dewey in Chicago, etc. They played a very important role. The World War played an important role in the American church abandoning education mm. and uh, it, education becoming the uh, sub secular enterprise funded by the government uh, and the private sector, not by the church. The result of that is that a, the Supreme Court can no longer define what a woman is. Mm -hmm. And the last nominee in the USA uh, to the to the Supreme Court bench is a woman, um, and as she was asked during her nomination hearing, confirmation hearing, what is a woman, and she could not define. Um, why can't they define what a woman is? You can't define a woman except in contrast to a man. Mm. Are men and women different? If they're different, how can they be same and one? Mm. Now, Islam has no problem with the question, what is a woman? Because Islam doesn't believe men and women are equal. That's why one man can have four wives, but a woman cannot have four husbands. Mm. Hinduism doesn't believe men and women are equal because Hinduism says that a soul is incarnated as a female if her karma in previous life had been bad. So mm. being a female is a cosmic punishment mm. 
mm. uh, upon a soul that you are born in a lower category of a female. Now, the Western civilization had no problem in affirming that men and women are different, therefore they can be defined, uh, each can be defined. They're different, but they are same and they are one mm. because the Bible's Trinitarian point of view, that in the mm. beginning God created heavens and the earth, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and the Word of God began to create this triune God, the Creator, the Spirit, the Word, said, let's make man in our image. So he made man in his image, male and female, for the two of them to become one flesh so that they actually become three, have a baby, so that they might reproduce, fill the earth, establish their dominion over the earth, which means that the child has to be nurtured uh, by the parents' generation uh, so that he or she learns everything that the parents and uncles and aunts and grandparents know so that the, this process of education allows the future generations to uh, increasingly establish their dominion, their stewardship, their managerial ability over the earth. So, so the Trinitarian uh, worldview had allowed Western civilization to say men and women are different, mm. but they are same because Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct. Mm. But there is one God, they are same, one substance, etc. So Trinity, which affirms unity and diversity, was the base mm. of a unique Western outlook that men and women are different, but they are the same. But now you give up the Bible, you give up that the ultimate reality of the universe is unity and diversity. You condemn the whole intellectual culture uh, to the foolishness mm. of you cannot even define. Mm. So a, a teacher is teaching a child for two, three, four, five years. She can't say whether this is a girl or a boy. How has Western intellectual become so blind, so dark? Why is darkness ruling uh, the Western education system? It is because it has been uprooted from mm. its philosophical worldview foundation in the truth. So when Jesus says uh, to his disciples, go into all the world, disciple all nations, uh, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're immersing them in truth. Mm. And this is uh, the, the source of the West's amazing progress that mm. every girl should study uh, because she is as good as a man, yet she is a woman. Yes. Because God has made us male and female. So I'm working on a three-part lecture series, and I was hoping that I would be able to give that some of it in, in Australia next month. Uh, the, the lecture series is called Three Sexual Revolutions, that how has the West become intellectually so blind that it has become incapable of defining what is a woman? Mm. And are you identifying this current crisis of gender identity as being a, a type of sexual revolution? 
This is the third sexual revolution. Mm. Uh, but be- before coming to that, let me answer your main question. What is the third education revolution? So the third education revolution is an attempt to take, equip the church to take education back. Mm. So 130 Korean missions are partnering with us to establish a million micro schools. Uh, I'm hoping that 10% of them will become million micro universities. Mm-hmm. That means the students will enroll in a university, accredited university, but go to the local church to attend classes. A church may have only 15 students, but 1,500 professors will come to church every day online. And students can learn from the best teachers from around the world. Students, 10 to 15 students will be overseen by an academic pastor. And an academic pastor is a homeschooling mother or a home college mother who is helping students to do all the courses to learn what is they cannot learn from the internet or they cannot learn from libraries, they cannot learn from books, learn from each other mm. or uh, have Zoom events with experts uh, that uh, or live seminars. So a economist or a chemist goes to the church to uh, have a live seminar yes. uh, with students who are daily studying. So uh, enabling every church to become the center of education, where education is studying both truths and shaping character. Yes. Because the state education simply cannot shape character, and uh, it can teach uh, students how to make very good robots, but it cannot teach students how to be good husbands, how to be faithful wives, how to be good children. So character shaping and worldview shaping, which is study of truth and virtue, has to be reintegrated in education. And therefore, the church needs a new education revolution to take education back from the state, back from the devil, and restore it to the church as a ministry of the church to disciple the future of every nation. Dr. Megawati, it's uh it's been such a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you and to explore your your uh the, the breadth and the depth of your comprehension of what is going on in the world. It is it is a rare gift for um God to have given somebody with the intellectual capacity that that you have and to provide opportunity for that to be directed so broadly and and so deeply. And uh, the gift that it has been to, to uh, I will say, the, the church of God in general and the, the, um, the benefit of humanity in general, uh, I think, should not be underestimated. So thank you so well, much for your time for today. Up. I'm honored and I'm grateful. Thank you. Um, if you haven't read either or any of um, Dr. Magawani's books, can I recommend them to you? Uh, I've personally enjoyed them, uh, the content and the style of writing, and would recommend them to anybody that would seek a, a deeper understanding of what our what our world is facing and, and where things might be heading. Dr. Magawani, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you.